I don't know. We got to put that through the lie detector because <laughs> I'm having a hard time with that one. <laughs> It's time for Loud Pipes. The podcast that brings you the best conversations relating to motorcycles, the riding experience, and other motoring adventures. Here are your hosts for this episode, Rich Warfield, Rico Hogan, and John Maracle. Pipes episode 110. We are riding into colder weather. We've got 10 tips for you to help out with your cold riding. Another guest in the studio, and we'll all have a round of beers. Minus one. Brother yeah. Hogan, how are you, man? <laughs> What's up? What's up? What's up? I'm doing good this evening, fellas. Ready to talk about this cold weather riding. Right, which you don't know anything about anymore. Nothing, nothing. Don't know nothing about it. He's like, you guys can keep it. (laughs) (laughs) But you'll be here soon, and I can't wait. Yes, sir. I'll be around the cold weathers for sure. Coming up in January. Very, very nice. You have a beverage, my man? Man, I'm drinking a little gin and juice tonight. Oh, we need a sound clip for that. Gin and juice. You know what? Never mind. I just got a little puke in my mouth. <laughs> Very nice. Well, enjoy, sir. Planning on it. Johnny John, Spider Silk, Riding Fool. What's happening? Not much, guys. Waiting for the nice warm weather that's supposed to be coming this weekend. Wah, wah. You don't even have a bike. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? Bike? Um, yeah, it's going to be back tomorrow. That's what I've been told. Oh, nice. Yeah. Johnny's been Jones and he hasn't had the spider in what's it been? Two weeks, three weeks? Month. Wow. Wow. Thanks, Can Am. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm yeah. Racking all those miles up because he was putting us to shame. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know spider just maybe can't I'll... handle it. Do what? Right, you mess around and broke the spider. I know you spider can't handle it. Maybe you need like a electric glide or something. You know, mess around and broke the spider's butt. <laughs> Just a little bit. You have a beverage, Johnny John? Yeah, I'm having some. Uh, having my good old favorite with Rico again, some rum and coke. What was up yeah. with you guys in the liquor? Well, that's what I need a man graduate. on. Yeah, you need to graduate, son. Saying he's a man now. Is that what you're saying? A little hellish chest. Hmm. Well, fine. Be that way. I'm going to have. Happy, you're going to have. What, what are you going to have? What, I'm going to have happy IPA holidays. Are you having tonight? Happy holidays IPA to be exact from Nota Brewing. Some little special thing they do around this time of year. And they put like six different hops in it. And of course, it's in one of their one pint cans. Yum, yum, yum. A pint. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, that's good. Oh, oh dear Lord. Really? 6.5%. Hmm. Oh. Let's put that over here for now. Better take that easy. <laughs> put that over here. It's going to be a long show. He's going to be sipping and having his water in between. Settle down, gin and juice. 
So shall we bring in our special guest for tonight that's going to help us talk about cold weather riding? Yeah, I'm going to let you do that, Johnny John, since you have our guest in the Eastern studio this evening. So take it away. I do. So we have our good friend of mine that is, um, I met through Moto Amino, um, Mr. KP Moto. That's, uh, man, he rides. He rides. Young kid, young guy. But I think he's got hundred and twenty thousand on that. Under almost hundred and eighteen. What? About one hundred and eighteen now. Yeah. Uh, whoa. Whoa. Okay. Well, well, welcome to the show, KP. We appreciate you <laughs> yes, stepping in. That's <laughs> nice down today. I'm down. <laughs> so awesome. I'll let KP. I'll let KP introduce himself. You can ask some guys some questions and and. You're, Drill him on, you know, what he rides, how much he rides, and uh, I suppose his car too. Wow, very nice. So yeah, let's hear it. What do you what are you riding most of the time? Uh, most of the time right now, I'm riding a Yamaha FJR thirteen hundred. It's a 2012. I picked it up back in May uh, from the. I actually work at a Honda Yamaha dealership, but um, I've owned three other bikes aside from that one. I currently also own a KLR six fifty. And then before those two, I owned a Ninja 300. And then my first bike I actually started out on was a little 50cc Honda Ruckus before I had my endorsement. Nice. You still have the Ruckus? I don't. Um, I actually sold it after the engine had a major malfunction, and uh, I bought a 300 Ninja. <laughs> Very nice. What's that new, the new bike they have coming out on that platform? It's called the, the Monkey or the Gorilla or something. You guys see that thing? No. Oh. Yeah, Honda's. Yeah, Honda's uh, got something new. No, not the Ninja. I'm I'm sorry. I'm getting my tiny micro bikes confused. It's not the Ruckus. It's the um, the Grom. Okay. They built something new on the Grom, but it looks super retro. It's pretty cool. I've heard some discussion around the dealership about the possibility of doing a Scrambler Grom, but I hadn't actually seen anything confirmed on it yet. (laughs) Nice. That would be pretty sweet, actually. Very cool. So we, we talked a little bit in the pre-show, and I'm, I'm going to have to get into these stories, but our our main topic we'll be getting into tonight is about sort of riding into colder weather and not so much on the gear, but we're going to start with the bike and riding tips itself. We will get into some gear as well, but uh, before we do that, I understand you've done a little bit of long riding in your, oh, but in before, your career. Before, yeah, but before that, what's he drinking? <laughs> Eggnog. <laughs> Eggnog. <laughs> nice. It's the season, right? Yeah. And to answer your question real quick, Rich, it is um Honda's rumored in twenty nineteen to come out with a Honda Monkey one twenty five. That's what I thought. I saw something about that earlier this week. Okay. You got a link for that in the show notes, T D? Sure. <laughs> sure. Slam it in there. Sassy. Sorry, Hogan. Proceed. No, I'll just tell them to slam it in the show notes. Hmm. All right. So long, long. So you've done some long riding, and as we talked talked in the pre-show, you're originally from upstate New York, western upstate New York, correct? Yep, Journey, New York. It's about an hour south of Buffalo. So you've done that trip several times. Tell us how that goes for well on your FJR and whatever you had previously. So uh, on the FJR, it's pretty simple. I mean, I got a 1300cc engine, a shaft drive, a lot of power, a fairing, and adjustable windshield, and all the luggage I could need. 
the interesting part was the first time I decided to do that trip, I owned a 300 Ninja. Mm. I got off on a Friday, decided I had no plans. So I thought it would be a good idea to go from Raleigh, North Carolina to Wellsville, New York for pizza and back. <laughs> That's a great idea. You get something like and John going to Boston for. Uh, then I also managed to do it in 36 hours. What? All right, you're insane. On a Ninja okay. 300. On a Ninja 300, guys. And what time of year was this? Uh, this was late September, I believe. Okay, so it wasn't cold yet. No. Um, okay. That being said, as far as the cold weather topic goes, because that's what we're talking about here. I've never owned a car, so if it's cold outside, I ride in it. Good man, good wow. man. You're not in shorts when you're doing this, are you? Uh, I have been, but that's what you're <laughs> for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now the, I got so I got to ask. I, I'm kind of the one who likes to stop a little bit. You know, I like to see the sights and take it all in. Okay. So on a Ninja 300, how many times do you stop over that trip? One, like one way. Um, let's see, are you, are you making a fuel runs on that or about five or six stops each way on it? Um, mostly because of the 180 miles I could get if I squeaked everything out of the gas tank. All right. So you're around 150 ish on a stop then give or take. Yeah. That's not bad. Right, John? We, we could deal with that. Yeah. I, about your speed. I, I can, but it's, you know, you're 50 miles over your, your uh, seat time. Ugh, I sure am nowadays. Holy cow. Yeah. A hundred miles. And you're like, I, I, I gotta stop. <laughs> I gotta go pee. Yeah. It's like, John, what, coffee? what exit are we getting off again? I'm doing highway travel. My FJR, I can do about 240 on a tank. And that's normally when I stop. So <laughs> nice. I get some seat time in there. Very nice. Well, before we get into the topic, you have any other short stories you want to share real quick? And then we'll start heading down our list. Hmm. As far as bike prep, it doesn't go too far into winter stuff, but I'm going to be at 13,000 feet next year. So I got to look at some potentially cold weather. Yeah, do tell them what you're going to do next year. Um, I got this harebrained idea that I was going to cross the entirety of the U.S. off-road. So August and September of 2018, I'm going to be on a KLR 650 on the Trans-American Trail for two months. There you go. What? I wanted to do that, and then I sold the bike. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. You're going to take a bunch of cameras with you, I'm sure? Record that? I've thought about it, but it's come down to affording the cameras, time to set up the cameras, and also I'm almost of the opinion that if someone wants to see all that, they should get out there and ride it themselves. Right. Or follow behind you with the camera. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Johnny, we forgot last show, so let me hit the new topic button this time. All right. So Brother Zion from the clubhouse was originally going to do this show with us, but we had a a change of plans for him and for us. Uh, But he did provide a nice little list for us, which we've augmented with our, some of our own experience. And we're going to have the conversation around it this evening. But the topic is basically riding into colder weather and things you should do for the bike, some riding tips and 
and KP will help us with the gear because that's not really our thing too much. <laughs> so I'll start out with, I'll read the tips and then we'll kind of just go around the horn and, and see where that takes us. So first tip that Zion gave us was not to start the motorcycle unless you plan to bring it up to its operating temperature. So basically if, with all the, the cold in there and the mixture of the oil and the moisture, we probably shouldn't be firing up the bike if we're just going to take a short rip and come back. We want to make sure that it's going to run long enough, you know, either idling or riding around, and make sure it gets up the temperature and we get the moisture out of there. All right, Hogan, first. Agree? How, how long does that take? Well, it's going to depend on the bike, I guess, and depend on the overall temperature. What about, your, what about the big Indian? So if you were going to ride that, let's say, below 40, you, mm-hmm. you let it idle a piece before you go, or you just fire it up and ride out? <laughs> no, I'll let it sit there. Uh, I know the, the funny thing with, about the Indian and the Roadmaster is if you don't let it warm up, it's hard to shift. Mm-hmm. And do from first to second gear, it just want, it wants to stick. So you have to let it warm up. Got it. Well, I think the main idea is, especially if the bike's been sitting for a minute, then you're, you're naturally going to get some condensation. So you don't want to just fire it up for the sake of firing it up. You want to make sure you're going to get it nice and warm and get all that moisture out of there. I've not seen any of that on my bikes. I've never seen like, you know, foaming oil or anything like that from moisture, but. That's essentially what you're trying to prevent. Well, yeah, but do you really check that? I check the oil? Yeah. Actually, every time I ride. Really? Mm-hmm. You? You check the oil? Me, yes. I know, ah, I know so where it is, to, and I check uh, it. I don't, I don't know. We got to put that through the lie detector. I, <laughs> I, I'm having a hard time with that one. <laughs> How about checking your air pressure there, Rich? Do you check those, too? Well, I have a little gizmo from John now, so... I just look at my phone. Makes life easy, doesn't it? Although one of them doesn't work, so I got to figure it out. <laughs> Replace the battery. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, how long have I had those? Almost a year. Since your birthday. Since your birthday. Since you gave birthday. me crap because I didn't give them to you. I bought them set before Christmas or last year for myself, and then you got crap to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the crap is recorded, too. We have it on the show. <laughs> we don't need to replay that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I check the oil every time. I mean, not I'm not checking for. Well, yeah, obviously I would notice if it was foaming, but I'm just checking the level. Especially yeah. since I changed it myself the last time. I'm I'm curious. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good practice. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, right? To make sure. I remember on the R6, I made sure that. I didn't actually take it out until the fans came on. So I would get it up to like 210 degrees. Then the fans started kicking on. Then I know it's ready. Even if I wasn't going to ride it out, if there was snow, yeah. I would just open the garage and let it heat up to about 210, 220 mm-hmm. till the fans kick on. Then I could shut it off for that, at that point. So I, I always done that with the R6. Yeah, I'd, similar thing when I lived in Boston with the KLR is, if I was going to take it out and ride it and it was cold like that, you know, down around freezing or so, same thing. I would let it sit, get good and warm before I went out and then make sure I, it was a decent ride. You know, Robert and I used to have this thing. If it wasn't 20, 20 or 25 miles, it wasn't a ride. It didn't count. So <laughs> made sure I went out, 
really put some heat into it. And then even when I came back, I let it sit there and run a little bit before I shut it off. All right. John, John, anything to add to that one? No, I agree. Get it warmed up. You know, I kind of do the same thing. Spire likes to get warm as well. Doesn't take long to get hot, though. It warms up pretty quick. Well, it's all covered and shrouded. It should. Yep. Does it have a blanket in there? Keep it nice and warm. Like my FGR heats up pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> I get started up. I only get about a minute or so before all the fans and everything start running. Hmm. Even when it's cold? Same thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been riding the past month or so, and we've had some temperatures that were in the mid-20s or so, and and I can start it up. And I uh, recently went to Atlanta and back, and when I went to leave that morning before I could I started the bike up, and before I could put two bags in my, I had two small bags of saddle cases. Throw my held on my gloves. My fans already kicked on on my FJR. Nice. Yeah, Rico. I know from a couple times I've had the R6 warm up because it's been sitting for a while. I was like, ah, I'm going to run it for a while. At an idle, that thing takes forever to kick the fans on. Oh yeah. I mean, I end up sitting out there like. <laughs> It'd be 28 minutes if I wait for it to idle. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So one other tip we want to add in here is possibly changing your oil more frequently in the winter, just due to keeping that condensation down. And, you know, if you do end up with a lot of short trips, that may be something you want to do anyway, even though it's not cold. Now, is the, what about like if you're running conventional oil versus synthetic oil? What's the difference there? Mm, not sure. Maybe we need to get an oil guy. Yeah, say, um, so my my understanding now the synthetic versus conventional. Um, I haven't heard anything about that changing performance in the winter. Um, you might have a little bit less friction with the uh, synthetic, but really the major thing I've heard and that I recommend only in the winter is going to a thinner oil, just on something as thick. Because when you have the thicker oils and you have the cold weather to it, it takes longer for it to heat up, and your shifting, your clutch, and a few things like that can act a little differently during the winter when using a thicker oil. So if you switch to a thinner oil, it makes that a little bit easier. It allows it to warm up a little quicker, get that oil through the engine. Yeah. As far as the synthetic versus a uh, standard mineral oil, though, normally what you see is your synthetic oil is going to help reduce breakdown, especially at higher temperatures, like if you're running a um, performance bike. But I haven't seen a whole lot with anything as far as moisture is involved or running at colder temperatures with synthetic. It normally comes down to the weight on that. Yeah, I, well, I think they do flow a little easier even when, when it's colder. Cause, you know, you've seen like the pour tests where they, you know, they put it in the freezer or whatever, and then they try to pour it down a tray. Right. So I've seen some of those claims. But yeah, that that's actually tip number two is, you know, thin out your oil a little bit. You know, especially here in the South, you know, we're using the heaviest oil we can in the summertime. That's that's not going to be your friend when you're trying to crank the bike, <laughs> you know, in, in below freezing temperature. Uh, let's see. Yeah, that was no, tip number two is make it easier to start the bike just in general. You know, if you're in a garage, it's obviously it doesn't matter as much, but you still have to get out at some point and ride and you may be parked for a while where it's it's sitting out in the cold. So possibly thin, you know, thin out your oil a little bit, make it easier to start. Hmm. All right, before we start an oil war, number three, and this is, I think this is pretty much Harley specific, but I know other bikes do this too, but um, if you have a bike that recirculates sort of the breather air back into the engine, as my Harley does, um, you may want to consider bypassing that. So I know we've talked to Zion about this before. He, he runs his into a little external bypass filter and sort of just changes the filter periodically. 
Um, I don't do that in mine, but I, ha- I have seen the gunk build up on the throttle body inside. So I can imagine once that gets colder, um, that's going to be problematic for not necessarily for the throttle body opening, but definitely with it closing properly if it's frozen up around the, the edge of that. So, Hogan, anything else you want to add on that one? Uh, number three. Does the Indian do that? Does the breather on the Indian go back into the intake, or do they exhaust that somewhere, like through you a know, pipe or something? I, I, you know what? I don't know. That's a good question. I said, just to clarify, are you guys talking about recirculating, recirculating the exhaust gas back through the um, cylinder? No, on on Harley's engines, they vent the the crankcase into the air cleaner. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure to say, um, at least mine on the exhaust, um, I saw my FJR, um, its exhaust actually refeeds one cycle through the cylinder heads, uh, emissions to burn off any extra fuel left in it. Yeah, not so much that. This is more the, either the crankcase um, vent or, I guess on mine, it's probably the top of the valve train because it comes off the top of the heads. No. You get a little back. air and, and, and a little oil weeps out of there too. So every now and then I look at the throttle body and they have to be cleaned up a little bit. Now, go back, talking with Zion on the side, you know, he ran uh, Royal Purple Oil mm-hmm. for the longest time, and he had a lot of blowback on that, and I think he has just switched to Harley's oil, and he's not getting as much oil coming back in, into that filter anymore. Yeah, I don't know what if he was getting something with the Royal Purple or just, I, I don't know, some kind of blow-by or something. He was getting a ton through that vent. Because he said he was changing filters like crazy, and ever since he went to Harley's synthetic oil, it's pretty much stopped. Don't want to start a complete oil war, like you said earlier. But yeah. um, I'm <laughs> working at the dealership, one thing I've definitely seen is um, you see a lot of different things on different synthetics versus minerals. This brand and that brand oil, which is better? Mm-hmm. And one thing I've noticed fairly consistently is that a lot of times when someone brings in a bike with some kind of ticking or minor noise or small clutch problem, something doesn't feel right, or you got gunk building up somewhere. A lot of times, whether it's Kawasaki, Yamaha, Honda, you go back to an OEM oil, and we've seen a lot of those problems that are solved just by going to the OE oil for them. Nice. Well, John, didn't you find now, recently it, that... Yep, yep, yep. So let me go on that little story here yeah, from ahead. Mr. KP Photo here. He, since he works at it, he informed me the other night that Yamaha, if you use Yamaha oil, Yamaha filters, crush washers, they are guaranteed the engine to 100,000 miles or 20 years. So people that switch away from on the Yamaha brand new bike and switch to something else, you're losing a warranty. Mm. And that's from a guy that works at the dealership. Yeah, actually, I had to point that out to a buddy of mine. Uh, he brought a brand new Yamaha Bolt and was discussing whether or not to put a Yamaha filter or a K&N filter on it. And basically, you you have to register your bike. There's a uh, Yama Lube Advantage plan. All you do is register your bike, basically the fact that saying that you own it, and you have to track your services to it. But you don't have to take it into a Yamaha dealer to have a service. You can do your own oil changes at home. But as long as you can prove um, the mileage you did of that, so basically a receipt just showing when you bought the uh, supplies and that you had the correct Yama Lube oil, crush washer, and filter, which, to be honest, is cheaper than a lot of the aftermarket brands anyway. Um, But if you go ahead and buy those and do the oil changes, yeah, they guarantee it for 20 years or 100,000 miles on the whole engine and drivetrain. Yeah, the the racing synthetic stuff is crazy expensive. I got uh, 
a gallon of, I think it was Repsol synthetic oil for the R6 when I changed it. And I think it was like 60 bucks or maybe even more than that. Yeah, because I know like, uh, I don't know on the Repsol one, but I know like Amsoil is 13, at least 1380 a quart in my shop. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was just slightly better to buy it by the gallon <laughs> instead of, uh, you know, individual quarts. So we'll move on from the oil chat because, you know, this is one of these <laughs> touchy situations that we could spend all night talking about and debating. So, Well, there is one, you know, one other oil story that I'll share, and that is um, Brother Zion was the one who bought my KLR, and he was saying that the clutch was uh, not, really, not really grabbing the way it should. And it had always, the lever had always been out to the end. And when we started looking at the oil that I was using, it wasn't motorcycle specific. So I had basically um, shined up the, the clutch discs. So once he, he dumped that out and started putting motorcycle specific oil back into it, he started getting a lot more uh, clutch feel back into it. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I had used, it's, it's oil that people had, I had read it on the different forums and stuff back when I was riding the bike a lot. And it was one that people recommended to quote unquote save some money. And they're like, yeah, it's, you know, it's not a hundred percent right for the bike, but it works well and this and that. So I was using that and I'd never really noticed it until I started putting more miles on it, you know, and then the sort of the, the clutch feel kind of went out of it. And I just assumed the clutch was going because of the age, but it was neat. Just changed the oil and much improved. Wow. Who knew? Who knew? Wrong oil. All right. <laughs> awesome don't, don't be cheap. <laughs> right. Don't save that $3. <laughs> All right. Let's see. We'll continue on the fluid tip here. So, um, this is another one in terms of kind of change frequencies. So your brake fluid and your fork fluid is the kind of fluid that's going to accumulate more water. So there's an advantage here to possibly changing that fluid more often. So with the change in temperatures, hot to cold, hot to cold, inside those front forks and the brakes, you could be accumulating more water. So there'll be an advantage to changing that more often. Now, does Yamaha recommend only their lube in the brakes, too? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, this was an interesting one. This, you know, with the fork oil, you know, I never really thought about it. It's like that rear differential mm -hmm. that you never, you know, you don't think about that either. It was one of those things. I didn't give it much thought. So yeah. this was a good one for me. I know you didn't when I dumped the, the fluid out of those R6 first. Yeah, damn. <laughs> it's just like dumping Anybody glitter. <laughs> I almost, almost got hit by that bus. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was close. Uh, I love you, man. <laughs> Well, I was laughing my full head off when I finally got those things cracked apart and I started dumping it out. And I was like, huh, I haven't opened the new <laughs> bottle yet, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't look like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, uh <-huh>. Anyway. <laughs> Talk about that. Laugh Did you get all up. your parts yet, Rich? Laugh it up. Oh, sorry. I'm getting hot. Mm. 
Yeah, I got everything. I finally, two days ago, I got the last uh, bushing set that I need for the bottom. And the tool came a couple of days before that. So I was able to get the other one completely apart. So they're apart and ready to go back together this weekend. You know, if you need parts, my buddy over here, KP, can get you parts. With fresh fluid. <laughs> yeah, now, we ha- now I have a nice dealer contact. Not exactly in my backyard, but close enough. I know. Hey, come have lunch with me. Thing. Yeah, there you go. I missed that. What? I said you can come have lunch with me. I know, right? Quick ride up, ride back. Exactly. It'd be a perfect round trip. So, yeah, I decided, you know, while we're talking about the forks, I'm going to put the springs in, too, while it's apart. I, I'm pretty sure we're going to need them, so I figure I'm just going to put them in now. Doing a spring upgrade? Yeah, because Brother Hogan's about a buck fifty, maybe. So Hogan Stop wet. Stop it! <laughs> Not seventy five, one seventy five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've I've got at least fifty pounds on him. So, and if I'm going to put the bike on the track, I figure I need a little more spring in the front. Yeah, I got a bunch of suspension work I really want to do, but my trip is coming up pretty soon, and. I'm not sure if I'm going to get it done in time. <laughs> Might have to put the money towards some other expenses. Is that for the KLR, you mean? For the, the long trip? Yeah. Um, being it's about 5,000 miles of off-road, I've been thinking about doing a full suspension overhaul to it, um, doing like cartridges and revalving on the front forks and then doing an entire Conjunct Dynamics rear shock. But it's pretty pricey to do the whole thing. So mm-hmm. not 100% sure on that one yet. They're pretty soft. Can you... Can you just get by with heavier springs in the front? I know Progressive makes a couple of sets. I, I thought about that. that, but the kind of way I've looked at it is, I mean, instead of spending the four or five hundred dollars, just kind of make the suspension a little better. Mm-hmm. If I was going to go ahead and do the suspension, I just I figured I might as well go and do the whole thing. But um, that'd put me about twelve to fifteen hundred dollars into the suspension on it. Yeah, that's like what? half the cost of the bike. Yeah, I paid three grand for it, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Cool. All right, John or KP, anything else on the fluids, brake or forks or otherwise? On the fluids, not a whole lot more myself. I mean, to be honest, uh, I said I do my oil changes. I normally switch to uh, lighter weight oil for the winter um, with anything else. So I got got a hydraulic clutch too, but my clutch, my brakes, Mm -hmm. uh, forks, any of that kind of stuff. I've just normally stuck to the service intervals for it. I haven't. I haven't increased them for winter, for any kind of winter wear condensation, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. I just haven't maybe looked into it too much. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I've been watching a ton of videos on <clears throat> suspension tuning and things like that. And this one guy says changing your fork oil every like 5,000 miles. I was like, whoa, that's, that seems a little extreme. <laughs> uh, not to say you couldn't do that. It, uh, another thing I also got to look into and that I hear a lot of time when people are throwing out numbers on when to change or work on things is, um, what vehicle it is and how it's being used. Yeah. Yeah. If that's 5,000 track miles, maybe, but yeah. say so if you're diving the front suspension a lot where you're really using the suspension, then it's going to beat on a lot more than say doing highway mileage. Yeah. Yeah. Rich, you got a lot of stoppy and willy willies on that front <laughs> suspension. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> but safe to say in 25,000 more than once. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, having a good time with you, Hogan. 
<laughs> Thanks, brother. And I'm telling you, I, I'm I'm not exaggerating. I laughed so hard the other night. I mean, my stomach hurt. <laughs> nice, like it does now. That's it for the bike. Anything else to prep your bike for riding in the colder weather? And we'll talk about some riding tips. What about your battery? Yeah, he's a good one. Fresh battery, keep it warm. I think that's what bit me a couple of years ago. Once it started getting colder, the battery just didn't keep up. I couldn't get it fired. Yeah, the batteries are good one. Um, another one being too, especially if you let the bike sit any amount of time. Uh, coming up on this winter, I looked at my boss and I went, "Hey, you know what? Winter's coming. We should probably get a few extra battery tenders in." So he orders like six battery tenders. The next day, I sold eight battery tenders because people's bikes would sit for a little bit, and the cold weather tends to drain the batteries more. So that, along with another thing that I found out, um, there's a lot of people that will start up a bike to try and charge their battery. And there are a few bikes that will charge a bike and they will charge a battery, a battery idle, but most bikes have to hit a certain RPM before the stator on it is actually creating enough power to start charging the battery. Right. And most of the time that's not at idle. So, um, I've had a lot of customers will come in, man, I start my bike like every three or four days and I don't know why the battery died. Well, it's because they would start the bike every three or four days and drain the battery from starting it and never charge it. Yeah, you cranked it dead. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you've got a conventional headlight. That's a big draw just for that. Yep. Yep. That's, I noticed a big difference on that because I was, I'm not, wasn't much of a tender fan because I had tended the battery and then uh-huh. it just seemed like it didn't it didn't add any life to it. It ended up just getting two or three years out of it. It was dead anyway. So I stopped using it. But when I switched to the, the led, I was sort of monitoring the battery prior to that. And then after, and yeah, it's, it's using just a minuscule amount of power. It's really neat. The other thing you need to look at is the battery and the tender to make sure that the tender cuts off and doesn't, you know, doesn't keep trying to recharge it. So you do need to look at that too. Indeed. All right, let's talk about some riding tips. So this this may seem obvious, but it's really kind of a reminder to slow it down a little bit. So everything's going to be colder, including the bike and the, more importantly the tires. And if you're riding in you know below freezing temperatures, your tires might actually not warm up much at all. So if you kind of think of it more like you're riding in the rain, and that that's kind of the way I've I've looked at riding and when it's super cold or in freezing temperatures, I've always thought of it as, okay, just imagine that it's wet. And that's, that's usually pretty sound advice for not getting it over your head. And that's a pretty good point you got there. Um, temperature makes a very big difference on tires. And I mean, to sum it up, that's a simple way to look at it. Just look at it as wet or out or there could be ice or something like that. And you're already on the safe end of it. But the other thing that really plays into it, if you break it down a little more is what kind of tires you have too. is when it's cold out, it's going to keep any tire from warming up as fast as it normally would. Mm-hmm. But if you have a very hard touring tire versus a very soft, say sport tire, they're going to, they're going to one, I mean the store, the touring <laughs> tires take a lot longer to warm up than a sport tire will. But then the other thing too, is even once you have those tires warmed up, let's say you're sitting straight on a highway and you go to get off an exit. Yeah. If you go to hit an off ramp really hard, You've been sitting on the center part of that tread, so the side tread, the side of your tire can still very much so be cold, even though you've been riding on it for a while. Yeah, that's a good point. 
is um actually if you look into a MotoGP, um, they actually go over a lot on how some of the turns when they have an immediate switchback, they got to be careful how they how hard they hit those turns because coming down a straightaway into a switchback, sometimes a left or right side of the tire won't be heated up enough to hit it as hard as those riders actually can hit the turns. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that that's interesting because I never really thought about that. Yeah, and you're talking yeah, we're talking a few seconds between that not minutes. There'll be a few seconds between hitting one turn and another. But I mean and given that's an extreme case of it, but the point being is if you're riding down a road or just cruising for a little ways and then go to hit a corner really hard, just because you've been riding on the tire doesn't mean the whole tire is evenly warmed up. You're only really warming or heating up the part that the bike is sitting on. Yeah, because even even when you're <laughs> like on my bike in the cold weather, when you see the pressure goes up, you're thinking automatically that the the tire is getting warmer, but that's like you said, that's the middle of the tire, not the sidewalls. So that's a very good point. Yeah, well, I've talked to a couple of people that man, I was out riding for an hour or two, and then I hit this corner, my corner, my my tire just gave out and slid right through it. And <laughs> ride for an hour or two straight up and down for the most part, and yeah, your tires will warm up, but not that side of it. So you hit a turn really hard, you get over on the side of your rubber where it's still cold, and it's going to react like a cold tire. Seeing people laugh at me for making those big S marks down the road. <laughs> My tire's warm. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Playing NASCAR again, Rich? That's right. <laughs> hey, we all do a little bit. Yeah, I find generally cars don't really like when you do that. You know, you just kind of get bored and you start weaving back and forth. And most of the time I look in the rear view and the cars are just, they're backing up. They're like, uh, we're, we're not getting near this thing. Like, <laughs> we don't know what's going <laughs> on there go Rich again, thinking he's driving a NASCAR. There goes that guy. All right, you're fellas. Oops. Sorry, Hogan. No, I was just saying you're that guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, along the same lines of, you know, slowing it down, you got to be mindful for the dreaded black ice. And I guess that's probably a no-brainer farther north than where we are here in Charlotte and, and Raleigh for John. But that's really one of the things here that I think drivers forget about in the South is you wake up in the morning and it's cold, but it hasn't necessarily rained. You're not really thinking about any ice, but then you don't realize a little bit of dew, a little bit of frost, especially on something that might be painted. And, you know, next thing you know, you're on the ground. So I kind of see that as more of a little bit more of a Southern tip, but I guess it applies universally just you know, be mindful of especially the stuff that's painted in metal and, and especially in the morning before the sun gets out. Yeah, really. And I, I try and take that into consideration anytime it's cold enough to freeze out. Uh, interesting, uh, I had a trip to Atlanta recently and need to get gas and <laughs> I'm looking for a gas stop and four or five exits in a row. I can just see ice <laughs> covering the exits. Oh, no. But that, the black ice really is a good point. Um, keeping the bike upright, not leaning it too much when it is that cold out. But I've I've definitely talked to a lot of people, um, I know four or five personally that have had accidents where they like like you just said, got up, it hadn't rained out, they didn't think about any ice, got out on their bike, and um two of the guys actually I had talked to both had had um some of the directional arrows in the road that had frosted over and frozen. Mm. Yeah, the painted stuff is no joke, even when it's wet. Yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say that. Sometimes even when it's dry, if you hit those, you know, you could slip. Yeah, I think nowadays they put 
they put a little bit of grit in them. But I know not too many years ago that was really just paint. Yeah. But I think yeah. they've gotten better with adding a handful of grit to that stuff. I wonder if if you know this is this is this will go above and beyond just winter riding. But to change your tires in the winter from a hard compound to a softer compound would that make any difference in your riding? Especially if you're one of those hardcore riders going that is going to ride in the winter. Are you changing your tires that often so where you won't have these cold cold spots? If you switched over to a softer compound, it would definitely allow your tire to heat up a little faster. But um, I could be wrong. Mo- I assume most of the people that are probably riding during the winter ride more often or are commuting on their bike. If they're riding throughout the whole winter where they're looking at at least someone who will be looking at changing a tire for riding throughout the whole winter, I figure probably putting a little bit more mileage on the bike. And mm-hmm. if you're doing that... Um, you probably got to take into consideration kind of mileage you're getting too, because if you were to say put like a Michelin RS on it, on um, most bikes you're not going to get much more than five thousand on a really good day on that tire. I mean, you're probably closer to three. So I mean, what I've actually been running a year round is the uh, Michelin Pilot Road Four GT. It's a little bit harder compound, sport touring tire, but um, what they do with the tire is they put a really high silicate content in it, so it's hydrophobic. And then there's a lot of seepage in the tire. So That's any kind of water, point. it actually attracts and holds and then ejects as soon as it comes off the road. So that way the water isn't actually getting between the rubber and the road. Yeah, it's nice. That was the only other thing I was going to add to, to Hogan's uh, softer tire is one that's more suited for the wet. There's this, uh, there's this guy that swears about this um, aircraft fluid or something that you can put on rubber to prolong its life if you put it on tires windshield wipers say what i uh, yeah yeah i gotta look at i got this um i can't think of the exact name of it but it's it's like a i don't know it's it's kind of like in, in, a, in a lacquer thinner type of bottle or can and you put it on all like your tire anything rubber your belt, your serpentine belt, anything rubber, you would just apply the stuff, soak it in it for 10 minutes or so, and it prolongs the life of your tires. Again, your serpentine belt, windshield wipers, anything rubber is going to help protect it and prolong its life. So you can get an extra five years out of these different rubber components in your vehicle mm-hmm. or bike. So I, I don't, I don't know, that know exactly what the product is, the idea behind it. Um, Although I, I want to say I've heard of some similar products and if we're talking about like a windshield wiper or a windshield wiper or something where you're not per se worried about it as in like a seat, foot pegs, grips, tires, anything where you would need traction on, um, more or less how most of those compounds work is they work by adding some kind of sealant to the rubber itself. Uh, if you start using that on a foot peg that has a rubber, uh, any kind of rubberized seat panels, uh, your grips, tires, you're basically sealing in the rubber compound. The rubber compound is what gives you your grip on it. Um, most of the time, so that goes uh, hand in hand with the tires where um, you'll hear a lot of stuff about release agent stuff being sprayed on molds for tires. Um, the biggest reason that uh, tires are actually slippery when you get them is there's, there's no release agent. It's that uh, tires are actually, they get their traction from being scuffed up and on the road. So if you were to spray or put something on the tire and seal up all that scuffing, you're going to lose a lot of traction on the tire. 
be like the old armor all trick on the tires. <laughs> you only yeah. do that once. Yeah. <laughs> right. I could, I could be wrong. I, I don't know exactly what the product is, but most of the time when you're using a product like that, the, um, is showy with their helmets. They, um, they, uh, all their helmets come with a, um, little bottle of like a silicate lube that goes on the, um, gasket around the shields. And it's kind of the same concept as you're adding a protective layer that's keeping oxygen from getting to it and drying out the rubber. Yeah. So I found it. So the, the, the product that I'm talking about is 303 uh, Aerospace Protectant. Okay. So, yeah, I looked at a... To the Googles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 303 Aerospace Protectant. I think we'll have to have a little pause or edit in the show here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those things like, huh, I got to try that. Yeah, so it looks at first glance that it's kind of the same idea there. They're going for protection against... More UV. or less drying out, whether that's UV rays or oxygen damage to it. But they have a vent drying, cracking, fading. So, man, it's kind of interesting. They do got a picture here. It looks like they're applying it to tires. <laughs> well, they're, yeah, they're saying not oily or greasy. So if it doesn't slick the surface, I don't know, maybe the sidewall. But, geez, I, I'd hate to put anything on the tread pattern. They, they, they're putting it... The, over the whole tread pattern, it, you know, you put a coat oh, on the inside and on the treads, on sidewall, everything, the whole tire. On motorcycles? Yeah, that's kind yeah. of interesting because, I mean, normally I'd go with don't put anything on your tire because that's your traction was holding you to the ground. But, I mean, the way I'd look at it even, too, is if the product, I mean, even if it wasn't something that would slip or cause any traction issues, um, what are you gaining out of it by putting it on a motorcycle tire? Yeah, just to prolong the life of the tire, the wear on the tire. That's is, what they're claiming. Well, I'll just say I don't think I don't think it would is well most your wear on a tire unless it just sits long enough at dry rots is going to be between uh, friction on the tire and the road and it's not actually going to build up a thick enough layer to prevent any friction on it. So yeah, they're talking about UV mainly. Okay, let's say if you got your bike sitting for a long time um, and you're trying to keep a tire on it for eight ten years, maybe keeping it sealed and keeping less sunlight and oxygen from it. So I don't know if we're Going back to winter, maybe if you were doing like a treatment or something to let your bike sit over winter, that might make a difference. But <laughs> I don't think it would actually keep the tire from wearing any faster. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. This is one of the things that you know. Again, watching the YouTube video, and this guy was saying, you know, he's he's applied this to his uh, tires, and they've lasted him, you know, quadruple the time of a normal wear and tear on normal tires. So I was like, huh, interesting. So I've, I've, I've yet to test it. I haven't heard anybody doing to the bike, but this is a product that that's out there. That's claiming to prolong anything rubber on your vehicles. So, well, you know, to apply this. it's the same company that makes stable fuel stabilizer. So that's good stuff. Yeah. And my one Oh four plus octane booster. <laughs> I use that all the time when I was a kid. A kid, I should say, driving as a kid. How about that? Yep, I'll take that. You know, when I thought my stock vehicle needed all this octane. Right. It's like, well, if, if 93 is good, then 104 should be fantastic. <laughs> right. Stand back, people. I don't know how fast this 2.5 liter four banger will go. And a night that you got pulled over for, uh, you know, drafting? A little bit. A little bit. 
There goes that bus again. There goes that bus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Join you, Rico. Yep. <laughs> uh, let's see. What's number seven here? Know your bike's limitations. So this is kind of around the idea of if you're going to ride consistently in the cold, you know, maybe you want to consider a, a different bike. So the reason that Zion bought the KLR is he was making it into a winter bike where you know, your big old Harley engine may not necessarily be the, the best way to go. You know, not that people don't do it, but you know, big engine, lot to crank it, air cooled. So it's going to definitely going to cool. <laughs> you won't have a problem there. Um, but the KLR seemed to work out well for him. You know, it is water cooled, good uh, ground clearance. Not that you necessarily need that, but you know, it was a good bike that he used all of last winter. Thoughts on that one? Anybody? Would you go to a smaller displacement bike for riding in the cold, or would you want a bigger bike? I got mixed feelings on that one. Um, with my FJR, I've definitely no. I mean, it turns over fine. Um, being uh, fuel injected and all, but it does turn over one to three times more than it normally would in a hot day when it's cold out. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the other bike, though, so I've had some smaller bikes. Most of them started up a little bit quicker when it was cold out. But I will say the one thing that I have to figure out in between them is I've enjoyed my FJR for all the wind protection when it is cold out. And uh, that makes a big difference. So with a smaller bike, you can find something with some good wind protection, a decent windshield or fairing to it that uh, definitely help you keep a lot warmer. Yeah, the wide open feeling of the cruiser comes to an end once it gets below 50. (laughs) You're like, you know, this isn't so cool anymore. Now it's just cold. Yeah, windshield makes a big difference. Go ahead, Hogan. No, I was just laughing at that comment. Oh. I tried a windshield. Just does not doesn't work on my bike. That's all. Uh, let's see. What else we want to add to this one? Johnny John? What do you think? No, I agree with KP on the fairings. I think it's, you know, stops the wind and helps out, keep you a little warmer and helps to keep the wind off of you because that's the big key. When you're riding a bike, it's the wind. I've yeah, seen I'm going it back to that too. Uh, I have my 300 Ninja. Um, it's an awesome little bike. Uh, the engine started up extremely easily during the winter, but one winter I was like, hey, you know what? I'm tired of being out in the air. It's cold. And I think the windshield I found for it was probably about two feet tall or so. I mean, I basically had a really tall sport touring windshield on a little 300 Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> Did it look like a sail? <laughs> yeah. Um, the windshield is probably half the height of the bike. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I know riding the R6 in the cold, you know, <clears throat> on on those long rides, getting back home from, you know, maybe a 200-mile ride in the just bris- bristling cold, it can almost break you, you know, and just kind of put you down for a while where you just don't want to ride because you're still getting over just being that cold on the bike. <laughs> so, you know, I think that was part of the reason um, in, in my consideration of buying the Roadmaster is just having all that wind protector, so I could ride on the uh, in the cold weather. Because you know, at at the time I was thinking about when I bought the bike, I was thinking that you know I'll, I'm going to be in South Carolina, North Carolina for a while. I'm going to want to ride in 40, 50 degree weather, and I want to be able to do it comfortably. So you know, 
this was the bike, ideal bike for me that I thought will work in those situations. And I didn't really consider riding in 30 degree weather or anything colder, but, you know, 40, 50s, you know, all day long. So, you know, and it's a hot bike. It's got all the fairings. So you're pretty much just uh, like a, a, a snug bug in the rug on this bike. Yeah, but you you pay the, you reap the dividends in the winter, but boy, you pay dearly in the summer for all that wind yeah. protection. Yeah, that, that is true. So, yeah, it's so actually something I love about my FJR. Um, so for instance, uh, this last, uh, just uh, what, two weeks, almost two weeks ago, I um, went to Atlanta, Georgia. I left here at 5 a.m. and it was 24, 25 degrees out when I left. Um, and just to test how cold it was, I stopped for my first gas stop and my key was actually frozen in my ignition. I had to pull out my spare to get in my gas tank. Oh, but, um, Ouch. yeah, so that was an eight and a half hour drive. And by the end of it, it had warmed up to 38. <laughs> wow. But I was able to do all that. And now, yes, you do. As you add more fairing and more windshield, you do miss out on, um, more of the breeze in the summer. But it's one thing, like I said, I love about my FJR, um, during the summer, um, there's actually two screws you can release or you can loosen on each side. The fairing slides in a little bit and it's got an electric windshield. So when it's cold out, I can slide the windshield up. When it's hot out, I can slide the windshield down. Nice. That's cool. All right. Well, since, uh, John, well, I know John likes to talk about gear and, and KP, I know you're, uh, you're pretty much all the gear all the time. You would say. I got three or four sets laying around the house. Okay. <laughs> Well, I, I only had two thoughts on gear, so I'll throw these out and then I'll let you guys elaborate. But my main thought is uh, dressing layers. So that always helps. You can layer up and layer down as the temperature changes. The The problem here we find in the south is it does get cold, but often it's cold to start, pretty warm in the afternoon, and then, of course, cold again um, as as the sun goes down. So you might be starting, like you said, 24, 25 you know, 30 maybe, but then you could get up into the mid fifties or even 60. You know, that happened over the weekend and then yeah, you'd be, seen that yeah, then you'd be you. cruising down back to the thirties the again. So having a couple layers, I think helps and kind of my having tip a friend, and having a friend that has a hoodie on his bike. Yeah. Having friends that have a lot of gear with them. That's a damn nice tip. <laughs> and letting them borrow the jacket. <laughs> right. No, but my last thought on that, and then I'll toss it over to John, is um, dress for warmth, of course, but remember, you still need your dexterity. So it's not going to do you any good if you're all bundled up and warm, but you can't move your arms or, or your hands. So just keep that in mind. All right, Johnny John. All your yeah, so, yeah, so as far as gear, um, I like the layers idea. I think it's really well. I know a lot of people that have bought it, the heated gear from um cycle gear that plugs okay purchased heated gear from <laughs> cycle gear i like the idea but then it goes down to the fact and kp and i were talking before was what happens if that gear breaks while you're out riding and then you have no layers and then you're out you know let's say you said to turn it off and then you're out riding in the middle of the day and the next thing it's 60 degrees, and then it goes on to 40 degrees, and your heat gear don't turn on. Break out the trash bags. <laughs> right. Well, that's the argument I was making with you, John, on the way to Florida, is you were like, oh, maybe we should get heated gear. And I'm like, no, because if it doesn't work, then you're not prepared. You're stuck. Right. right. So 
I go with layers and I agree with the dexterity of the layers like you agree. I mean, the more you bundle up, the harder it starts for you to move. Yeah, and yeah. it's not just comfort. That becomes a safety thing. Like, as many layers as I had in my hands, it was it was hard to hold on to the controls. So that wasn't doing any good. Yeah, and then we'll go back, and I don't know if I talked about it previously on here, but back in November, I did a vet day ride with Monomino and started out in the mid-20s, and I borrowed from a guy, uh, Sonic Moto, um, some Oxford over-the-handlebar mitts, and we pick on them, we call them pizza oven boxes, and I put one on the throttled hand and one on and I just left the other one off because I was I want to see which way I wanted to go because I haven't tested it. I got going down the road. I start to come to a stop, and the mitt in my hand pushed the mitt and it hit the kill switch. And I'm like, <laughs> "Don't." No, I don't care how warm my hand is. That thing's going bye bye. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, I'm. I know we're going to be in a group, and I don't want to be going down the road. And then all of a sudden, I come to a stop and I hit the kill switch. All right, KP, gear man, cold weather man, what you got for us? So I got a little bit of both on the gear. Um, I can say that when it's cold out, it can be really nice to have heated gear because, well, at least in my opinion, it's more comfortable. I, however, don't own any heated gear. Um, I'm all four layers. Uh, most of the time, at least when I know I'm going out specifically to ride and when I'm doing trips or something in the winter, um, I got a pair of like... Um, kind of like thermal running tights and I'll run, I'll wear those with my riding pants because they don't have very many seams in them. So you don't have any like large seams, like a pair of jeans or cargo shorts would have that you'll find after like an hour or two of riding or conveniently placed in some spot that you can't wiggle off of them. Or, um, and the other thing is, um, being that they hug your muscles a lot tighter, they promote a lot of blood flow when it's colder out. So, um, normally something like that, any kind of thermal wear, um, then having your layers where, um, actually I, when I went all the way to Atlanta, Georgia, I did it with a mesh pair of pants, but they have the rain liners in them, which work as a windbreaker. So I had those, um, I was wearing a tour master four season jacket had a uh, showy helmet. And for my gloves, I actually had only a lightweight, um, moose racing ADV one glove. They're a gauntlet glove, but they got a bonded, uh, waterproof liner to them. So I was wearing those and a pair of REI, um, Merino wool liners. So where I was going with what we were talking about earlier with the um, heated gear versus not having heated gear and being able to make sure you got a balance there because if you just grab heated gear and go hop on a bike and go for a ride and Mm -hmm. you get 100 miles away and your gear breaks, (laughs) well, now you're stuck up a tree with really no layers to get back. So where I kind of balance out in between there is um, I have heated grips on my bike. And I like those because I have all my layers I can ride without them, but they kind of extend how far I can comfortably ride before I start losing feelings in my hands and stuff. I've thought about going to heated gloves because the heated grips work very well, but they really don't keep your fingertips warm. Yeah, I wondered about that because Hogan crows about his his heated grips, but I'm like, it's heating up the outside of your glove. Like, how is that keeping your hands warm? Well, and that was, so that's uh, the gloves I, recommend, around I just the- mentioned, too. That's why I went with a thinner glove. Um, so I have some mm. very thick uh, held uh, Quattro Temp, uh, I think the Quattro Temp 3s or 4s. And they're awesome gloves, but when it's really cold out and I'm using my heated grips, I don't use them because it doesn't actually let enough of the heat through the glove to your hand. Right. So that's why when I was doing my trip, I used a thinner glove with the liner then. Like he was saying, 
KP was saying, the liner comes in handy because, you know, there are some liners that have that special mesh inside that can warm your hands up without having any electrical wires in it and so forth. So those nice, that's nice underneath your gloves or inside your gloves with the heated grips and just moving your hands. The thing with my bike is, you know, the grip is a little wider and I think it just heats up my entire hand where I have to actually turn it down because my hands are hot. And I think it just comes down to the heating elements in your, in your, in your grips too. So I don't know. I haven't had the problem where Mm -hmm. the middle of my hand is hot. It's not my fingertip. My whole hand is hot. So I I wonder if there's a, if there's a glove out there that's, that's thicker on the back and thinner in the palm. There's actually a a lot of companies out there that make gloves like that. Uh, If you look into a lot of the winter gloves now, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of the companies are doing, well, they're doing a range of winter gloves, but a couple of that, a couple of gloves out of that range will actually have thicker insulation on the back and thinner insulation on the front or no insulation at all. They'll just do a leather palm to it. Yeah, that would, that would make sense. I'd be on board with that. If I had heated grips. Yeah. (laughs) And if I was going to ride when it's that cold. (laughs) I love it. You know, and then too, if you just, you know, I could just slide it on top of the the header and and be good too. (laughs) So, uh, you know, if one hand's holding the throttle or the the bars and I just slide one on top of the motor and just heat it up that way. I've done that a couple of times in riding into cold weather and that seems to work for me and keep on going. I've done that on the spider where my hand gets cold and I'll pull it off the hand off the grip and get down because the heat comes right up in front of me in the steering column and I get my hand heat just comes out of there put my hand down there and you know get all nice and warm yeah I should find some way to like have that hot air just blow right on you somehow you know what what you know as I sit here think about this you know the the, the parts of my body that gets the coldest when there's ex- when it's exposed to cold weather is the uh my ankles, my knees, maybe my elbows, my neck, and my chin. Those are the areas that are, you know, are not if they're not covered, they're more prone to that that chill and bone cold. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you get to the point where you you almost can't warm up. It just hurts, yeah. yeah. I hear you. Um, piece that gets the coldest on me is is um, my hands is the piece that really got the coldest on me. You know, one other thing that I like about riding in the cold, and it really has nothing to do with gear or anything, is it's really more about attitude. I mean, come on. How, how much cooler do you feel when you're out riding? It's freezing cold. You're the only one out there. Right, you know, there's other guys looking at you in their car. They're like, "Ah, oh, damn, he's on the bike." Even though it's cold, it's like he's riding. Yeah, look <laughs> so, at his balls. They, yeah, they're blue. <laughs> I know. Wait a minute, his face is turning blue. Is that supposed to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I get that one with the bike. Um, it's actually why I've never owned a car. Um, you know, no matter what the weather's been, there's there's been three days I've Ubered in the past three years just because there was uh, too much ice on the ground. But outside of that, I've ridden every single day because you know rain shine a little bit of hail cold weather really hot day i'm out on the bike and i'm enjoying it that's what's up that's awesome that's awesome we'll see if you can continue when you get a couple of kids 
Yeah. <laughs> the the other thing that I'll throw out on a list was when we went on a vet day ride. Um, I used some of the hot hands insole foot warmers that you can take the velcro the padding off the bottom of your foot attached to your foot inside your boot cut heats up to like 100 degrees they work pretty well have you have you had good luck putting those in your glove i've not tried it with my gloves because they are just kind of pads but hang on kp might have something i say um with the hot hands i actually had an interesting experience with those so john had mentioned those and i thought that would be I thought that'd be a good idea for my trip to Atlanta, Georgia, because I knew I'd be on the road for a while and it was going to be really cold out. So I went and bought myself some and I'd bought the insoles and the hot hands at a little square package actually and put it in gloves. What I found with both of them is even though the, um, even though the soles were supposed to work in low oxygen conditions, neither one of them really ended up working because, well, so the ones in the hands worked a little bit. If I got my hands off the bike and moved them in the air a little bit, I got some oxygen to them. But the ones in my boots, I, I don't know if it was the leather boots and I had a pair of wool socks on or what it was, but maybe there wasn't enough oxygen getting to them because they worked for about the first 10 minutes and then stopped. Huh. huh. That sucks. They just quit. Yeah, so I, I, said, I, stopped, I, made a, I made a stop, I pulled them out, and they started working again for like another 10, 15 minutes and stopped again. So I'm thinking they must have gotten oxygen deprived in my boots. The ones in my gloves, if I wiggled my hands around off the bike and like out in the air and got some air to them, they started working again, but... Yeah, and we did get a tip too, John. From, remember from Marcus, he was saying, "Don't put them on the back of your hands because the, the skin there is too thin, and you might get a burn." Correct. The um, I had, as KP was talking, I had a pair of Moto Skivvy socks on, and then I had my freeze out um, boots in or socks over it, and then I put the the insole warmer on the bottom of the freeze out sock. So, and then I have Tour Master Solution WP Airs 2.0 boots. So maybe, like KP was saying, that maybe I was getting more air than he did. But mm-hmm. at that day, I was down to left here in 20 degrees and my feet stayed warm pretty all day. So, now what do you think about? If we head to Daytona again, the end of January, are you going to change up anything you did last year or pretty much the same setup? Uh, same setup. There was a couple of things that is different from last year. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it, but I have upgraded my jacket, my three-season jacket. Um, KP Black Friday sale at his shop. I got a new Olympia Airglide 5 jacket nice Um, he's really big in olympia and the gear and something that really sold me on it is it's more of a year a little more of a more of a tighter cut in my elbows my shoulders where the cortex was nice but the shoulders just in the elbows didn't fit right and then the other cool thing with olympia jack gear is that the rainliner can go either inside the jacket mm-hmm. or it can go over the jacket. Hmm. So they make it so it can go over the outside of it. So, you know, there's your rain, there's, there's your windbreaker right there. So it's like rain break it. And then you got the thing. And then the thermal piece inside is a full jacket. It wasn't just a vest like the cortex was. 
Well, I think my my biggest change for January that KP's won me over with is I probably need to get an FJR. <laughs> it is an awesome machine. Says almost twenty five thousand miles since May. Wow, nice. nice. Yeah, I've got I've got a pretty big Jones for the FJ09. I will not call it a tracer, but uh, I don't know the the FJR and like the Cowie's uh, Concourse. So I don't nice know if ideas, you know already, but, but um, big, uh, the ooh, whole uh, big tracer versus FJ09 thing. The uh, it's actually all just the European names for the same bike. They've had different names for the same thing for years. They're just consolidating, getting rid of having double naming for everything, kind of moving all their bikes here. No, I know that. It just aggravates me because I've called it that for two years now and it's been changed. <laughs> Understandable. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he wants the FJ09. He wants that bike so bad. Well, I already know how to do the luggage setup on it. I've done two or three of them. Yeah. The problem is there's none in his shop. How long before we're going to see the, the new one? The GT? Uh, I'm not sure on that one yet. Uh, I know they're thinking about release them, releasing them, but really what I've been hearing more about is the um, ETAs on the Ventures. Mm. Talking about that, when is the ETA? It keeps getting pushed back. <laughs> they're still working on the engine. Wah, wah. <laughs> Can you incite? Is that is that the issue? I don't know. Um, I heard you talking about that, but I haven't heard anything about that from Yamaha. Um, they told us we'd have it in December, and then they actually told us due to some shipping issues, we'd get them a little bit later than that, and I hadn't gotten a confirmed date since then. Hmm. Yeah, we definitely got to ride it, though. Got to check it out. So, Spoken so, like a true salesman. You're talking about that. KP, since you worked there, you could get a test ride for us, right? Um, let's see. I talked to my general manager. He said we were going to have a demo bike. And if we had a demo bike, I might just know some people that would be in line to demo it first. <laughs> nice. So come on, Rich. Come on up. A nice ride for lunch, right? That is correct. Yeah, I need to make a, a Raleigh trip. A lot I'm of stuck at the dealership. So are you bringing me lunch? Yeah, of course. And a beer, even though you can't drink it. <laughs> I'll take care of that. <laughs> you can watch me. Depends on when you come up here. I'll be 21 in February. <laughs> nice. Party. Oh, man. Hogan, do you remember your 21st birthday? Yep. Me too. Oh, man. Well, actually, no. Not all of it, but most of it. Yep. I, I celebrated mine down in the flats. The flats in Cleveland, Ohio. It was a good time. Lots of dancing, I remember. Nice. Beers. And shots. And beers. And my big thing in my 20s was um, cranberry juice and vodka and Jaeger bombs. (laughs) Yeah. I remember drinking Long Island iced teas with my Uncle Randy at the Red Schoolhouse. And then... I know I was at his house and I remembered puking all over the place as well. <laughs> Either later that night or the next day. Yeah. Funny. Much like I did at your house. Right. <laughs> it's like, hey, this is not a good pattern. <laughs> wow, well, like he's coming over again. Oh God. It's like, <laughs> it's like no. Tell him we're busy. <laughs> Uh, she was a good sport. 
Uh, let's see. I guess my, my final thought on winter riding, I think it's kind of like anything you do on your motorcycle. You have to do, do what works for you. You know, just because someone's telling you you need this or you need that, you might have to try it and see if that, if that really suits you. You know, and, and the example I always think of is leather. Yeah, I know leather is really good for keeping out the cold and holding in the heat and things like that, but it's just not really my thing. You know, I really prefer more of a textile jacket. So, you know, little things like that. You'll have to do what suits you, be comfortable, layered up, make sure you still have range of motion, things like that, and have fun. That is, I agree with that, Rich. It's all good points. Hogan, you got a summary? Uh, you gonna top that yeah, one? Keep, Put some icing on yeah. that one. <laughs> well, you know, is it again? It just comes down to your personal preference. You know, uh, the key for me is just keeping your core warm, and from there, I think uh, if that's warm, the rest of your body is gonna typically stay a little warmer. And um, ride with the gear you're comfortable with riding with. If you do, you know, the dexterity in your fingers, and you know your ability to hold your bike and do the things you need to do is very important. So buy the gear that fits you, that you feel comfortable with riding in those types of conditions and uh, ride on. Very nice. Very nice. John, John, your final thought riding in the cold. I agree with everything you guys have said so far. I mean, the biggest thing is I, get out practice in it take little short runs with it see what works stop make adjustments and sooner you're going to figure it out and i like to layer fact because i mean last year when we went to florida it's like we could take this piece off add it and as they got warmer we could take it off and then add it back and yeah and also taking consideration you might have to make more stops so please you know plan accordingly you might want to take more stops and don't do that and yeah, I you think gotta I'll take care of your body. Yeah, and just find those Starbucks stops, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got an app that gives you all of them. <laughs> See. <laughs> well, and along the lines we said of, you know, know the limitations of the, of your bike, know the limitations of yourself as well. If if you know that you're kind of a cold person and you know, below fifty you start to get cold, then that's gonna translate to the bike. You're gonna need to bundle up even more as the temperature drops and more importantly, when the speed increases, as John and I found it, even if we slowed down to, I don't know, 65 or so, it was more tolerable than trying to run 80 miles an hour, you know, when it's only 40 degrees out on the highway. So it does some other things to keep in mind. All right, KP, we'll give you the final thought on that. We'll do our, our thank you segment. And then I think you're prepping for eight days a week, correct? All right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> as far as cold weather riding goes, um, I've covered a lot. Is there really anything else? Hmm. Heated seats. <laughs> <laughs> Heated seats. Nice. <laughs> I, I, I got a joke. Um, I, I guess some of the guys that don't ride in the winter at all, and they run in the first thing. Man, they make heated seats right for riding in the winter. I'm like, that's probably the only thing I don't need heated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but, like your, your yeah, butt you is know, in contact I mean, with the seat. Like, do you really need it there? Oh, Hogan, you have it. Yeah, and uh, it helps. It does. I, I can't lie because it helps with the back of your thigh that tends to get a lot of wind. So it helps keep that por- 
a little warmer so it's more tolerable. But definitely the, the, the heated grips, you know, if you can find something that can heat your core, um, that'll help you with, you know, that chill factor when you're just kind of shivering in the cold. That'll kind of trim some of that off for you and it'll keep, your, keep you a little warmer. It keeps that blood circulating. Because that's it. Once you start losing that circulation in your, in mm-hmm. your extremities, it really kind of hinders you and kind of makes it hard to squeeze that clutch in or that brake in or, or move those knees or, you know, push that clutch down or that brake. Uh, so all that, you know, that all, it all, you, like you said, you have to know your body, know your limitations mm-hmm. and know what you're capable of riding in. So you don't know it until you're out there doing it. And like John said, you know, do the layers things that that doesn't work. Look at the other possibilities where, where it be the heating equipment, uh, the little slip in, um, things you can put in your gloves or your socks or your boots, <clears throat> whatever works, make sure it works for you. And you don't, you know, you're not compromising any, any safety. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think the thing we've had some really good points. I mean, keep an eye on your fluids, your tire pressure, basic bike man itself, whether you're adding heated grips, making sure you have some kind of wind protection. If you, uh, if you're doing kind of longer trips in the winter, riding really cold weather. So just keeping an eye on what you need to do with the bike, um, looking at yourself, what kind of stuff you're wearing, um, having different layers that you can take on and off, depending on how the weather's going to change throughout the day. So, and uh, I know we talked about tires a little bit too, keeping an eye on what kind of tires you have, how long you've been riding on them, what riding you've been doing on them, just making sure they're warmed up and keeping an eye out for black ice, leaving more space when you're following cars, leaving more braking distance. They've covered quite a good, uh, quite a good number of things that really are pertinent to when you're riding cold weather. Yeah. Rico mentioned something that I want to touch on again is, um, shivering, you know, that's kind of the first sign of, of danger. You know, it's like if, if you're shivering, you're cold, you need to fix that. <laughs> you need to somehow get warmer and, and get out of the cold cause it's not going to get better. Cool. Well, thank you, sir. We'll uh, we'll let KP prepare his eight days a week, and I will take a moment to recognize the people that continue to make our show possible and thank the riders of Loud Pipes for their continued support. That would be our first five riders, Marcus, Rickard, Edward, Jebby, and Zion. Thank you, fellas. The new Slack pack would be Chuck, Mike's daddy, a.k.a. Roger, <laughs> And the slacker, who is Chris himself. Mike is in the barber shop. We have Steve, Micah, Kenny, Dangerous Dave, and Chad making up the riders group. And we have Darren and the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast are the insiders. So please visit loudpipes.net slash donate. Select the reward that interests you most. We also have a link there for one-time donations and contributions of any size are greatly appreciated. We want to also give a shout out to the fellows on the live stream tonight. That's loudpipes.net forward slash live. And we use the Mixler platform for that. You can listen to the show live and participate in our chat room as well. All right, Johnny John, we don't have a U-turn or news roundup. So have you guys prepared in eight days a week? Yeah, I forgot to tell KP about this. So he's been sitting here working on his list. So the eight days of the list, and we'll just run through it, is eight bikes that you'd like to own, unlimited money, be anything, any year that you want to own. Well, seven. And, well, seven. And then one of them is a project. 
And? And your birthstone. Oh, and your birthstone. So a bike from the year you're born. <laughs> Uh-oh. And now now, he's now like, he stumped on that one. I was like, like ooh. oh, damn. Oh, he's got it. No, actually, um, already got everything you mentioned in my list. Even though he added some things I didn't know I was playing, I wasn't having to include in the list. Um, let's see. Let's see. So we're going to do a birthstone, the KLR. It's been around since 87, which covers my birth year of 1997. <laughs> I had a 98, so that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. But um, so the KLR, um, a VFR 800. Um, something about those V4 motors I really, really love, and there aren't very many of them still in sport bikes. Very so nice. the VFR, I think it's an awesome combination of sport and sport touring. Well, at least sport tourings we got it now with all the luxury sport tours everywhere. Uh, Any money particular? not being an issue because you'd probably have to bribe someone into getting one, but a Honda Rally replica, uh, it's what they're running in their Dakar Rally. But considering there's only ever probably four in existence, it'd be pretty hard to get your hands on one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you have a year uh, on the VFR? Did any specific year or no? I didn't have one on it. Uh, I was just I, I wasn't I wasn't grabbing years yet. I was just kind of going through and making a list on this sure. one. It was kind of impromptu. Yeah, that's fine. Just curious. But um, an FZ10, um, mm. more or less having all the potential of an R1, but having it in a more usable gearbox and a more upright position is highly appealing. <laughs> Agree. Um, the well, I mean, you guys already knew this one, but another FJR1300 because you know this eventually going to be a point where i'm going to tire this one out why not you never have too many yeah and i mean the new one electronic suspension the sixth gear full led lighting why not what can possibly go wrong exactly (laughs) um well if you guys follow any of the kind of weird riding i like to do on off-road a little bit of everywhere africa twins got to be in there so Okay. I love the KLR, but at least the way emission standards are going, I don't think it's going to be around all too much longer. So I think Africa Twins is going to be one of those replacements that are going to step up with it. Unless they inject it. True. Maybe they'll uh, go crazy, do parallel twin KLR. <laughs> that would be awesome, man. Some people have done that, actually. <laughs> but um, so, of course, we're going vehicles here. Got to have a toy hauler to haul everything everywhere. Mm-hmm. And by haul everything, I mean the family members that don't want to ride to location can drive the rest of my bikes to location because I'll be riding there. Very nice. This is a... I hadn't come up with one yet because uh, that whole thing with I haven't owned a car, I've never looked into vehicles that have more than two wheels, so I don't really know much about them. <laughs> you know, Studebaker made some great vehicles. Okay, well, let's go Winnebago at least. Come on. <laughs> so, so maybe like... Uh... An RV toy hauler, not not pull behind, but a full RV. I think they do make those, like a, yep. a class A with the the ramp in the back. Yep, yep, yep. All right, uh, seven. So one more, then your project. Oh, well, you got one more, there, buddy. No, uh, no crazy cars of interest. You know, Camaro, Mustang, exotic. That whole I've never looked at a car thing. Um, uh, I guess we could throw a. Toyota Tacoma in there. Now, money's no object. You know? <laughs> right, well, see, it's one of those things. That I use my vehicles a lot, and therefore maintenance and longevity are very important to me. Is I could buy a million-dollar car, but if it's in the shop, 
you know, yeah. once every week or so yeah. because help me, I put a thousand miles in in a week and they weren't meant to be driven that much in a year. <laughs> it costs 30 grand to do a brake job. It's probably going to sit. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, all right, that, and then if we had to do a project, um, probably a race bill R3. I've, I'm saving up for a trip cross country this coming year, but if it wasn't for that, I'd be working on a, uh, R3 track bike right now. Because, you know, in all honesty, there are expensive track, I mean, well, not just track bikes and taking a bike to a track, but an actual competition bike is expensive any day of the week. But the awesome part is that you can build a Moto America level Moto 3 uh, R3 bike for 12 to 15 grand. And hmm. for what you can push out of a little R3, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I think, yeah, I think lap times, the, the more and more I've been studying and researching you know, my, my desire to get on the track, you know, you start to realize it's the engine is really only does just so much, you know, it is all about getting in the corner, proper braking, you know, all that stuff is way more important than how much firepower it has. That's where I'm leaning towards the R3 because it's not going to eat tires. It's not going to eat brake pads. And a lot of the parts are cheaper for it. Like I said, you can build an actual AMA pro bike for 12 to 15 grand. Whereas you say you look at what the AMA guys are racing on an R6, and those are pushing 120, 150 grand. <laughs> well, so that's an interesting topic. Is if if you're going to get your sort of your first track bike, and you know you're really going to get into it, would you, would you still do like a new R3, or would you get something older? I, I've actually looked at that, and I looked at that very heavily because for the money, I could buy an older R6 and have all the power and everything an R6 has on it that an R3 doesn't. So R3 is being newer. You're going to pay a little bit more for them. But at the end of the day, um, I I mean, I wouldn't call myself a talented rider. I don't even consider myself a very good rider on the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. But even my FJR, I can scrape pegs both sides on. Um, it's one of those things that I would rather a small bike and be able to push it a lot and work on trying to find the limits on that bike and work on my own riding then get into an R6 or an R1 where, yes, I could ride it. Um, I'm experienced enough to know that I could ride the bike without just doing something stupid and hurting myself, but neither one of those bikes could I actually push. I wouldn't be able to get anywhere near using those bikes to their actual potential. Okay. Yeah, my, my strategy was, I, I've thought about that. So as I've, I don't know if you, you listened to the show, but I, I purchased the R6 from Rico and it's a 2000. So that's the route that I'm planning is I'm like, okay, an older bike, I'm not going to feel bad if I crash it up. I can, it's fairly simple. I can disassemble the whole thing, understand how it's put together. I can maintain the whole thing myself. And, and not that an R3 is all that complicated, but you know, there certainly are certain, some things that have advanced to the point where you know, you may not be tinkering with it all that much, but that was kind of my thought was, you know, an older bike, I'm not going to feel bad about it, but, but you raise a good point. It's, it's inexpensive to get something like an R3 and it's not going to be terrible to work on. What and, and what do those things go for? Like out the door, just like off the showroom. Um, I don't know what the out the door price is on them. Uh, I know we've had them listed at, uh, between forty nine ninety nine and 55, depending on which model you're looking at and the color and ABS. 
Yeah, and then you're talking about working with brand new parts, and they probably they have inverted forks or traditional. Uh, I don't remember yeah, looking at those. You know, I haven't looked at those. Um, I actually I wasn't too concerned about the OE suspension because I was going to swap. It was, the suspension swap was one of the first major things I was going to do to it. <laughs> well, I, I have the same, I guess, advantage or option with the older bike, but just that I can grow into a 600 engine. Right. Okay. So they got standard gonna, forks on them. Do they? Okay. Yeah. I just had to show him a picture and he knows. What's that? I just had to show him a picture and he knew. What? Oh, the forks? Yeah. So, so just to kind of go with it, I know one of the guys I ride, ride with um, here locally, he had an R3 and he got it from a dealer, used one for, and he paid 3K for it and, you know, used one. And I know talking with those guys, because, you know, from Monomino, a lot of them ride sport bike types or naked bikes. The guys, three of the guys rode, rode, you know, a Ninja 300, a 250, and an R3, and they have upgraded to, you know, a 750 and a 650, and they have said they missed the R3 because what the R3 did was you had to learn throttle control and keep the throttle in the whole turn to keep up. So they learned a lot of stuff about throttle control with the R3 or the smaller bikes and the Ninja 300. So you have to learn your throttle control a lot more and keeping power to it and not, you know. Yeah. And that, that's a lot of what I've been, been reading and watching on uh, YouTube and other outlets is, you know, a 300 or 400 CC bike like that. The, the acceleration is not, no longer the focus. You know, now you're focusing on braking at the right point focusing on your braking technique getting through the corner and really getting back to the throttle because you have no choice you've got to get back to the throttle as soon as possible right and that's what they learned versus with the bigger engine you get back in the throttle and you have to make sure you don't overdo it and then like kp said tires you know you're the bigger the engine the more you're going to eat tires and that gets expensive on the track yeah, and that's um, that's nothing I'm looking at with the R3. I mean, part of the reason I want to do track days is because I want to work on my own ability as a rider. And with something like an R6 or an R1 or any any 600 cc or 1000 cc super sport, you could just barely kind of make it through a corner and really not get a good line through the corner at all. But then pin the throttle and make up a lot of time on a straightaway. Yeah, and that, not that, that, that doesn't would teach you anything. A very really. good situation in a race scenario, but just getting on the track, you're not going to focus on how hard you can hit a corner per se if you can make up all that ground on mm-hmm. a straightaway. So that's one reason I've looked at an R3 because it makes when you don't have the power to pull up out of a corner like that, it makes holding your speed through a corner much more important. And then um, one of the other things has been that, not only because the cost of them, the um, the fact that they have less power, but I've been talking with a lot of friends of mine and, um, I actually know a gentleman, uh, Daniel Goodnight. He, um, both instructs and, uh, races, um, in some of the AMA circuits and R6. And I mean, this guy is doing, I, I'm saying track day is times he's actually out on the track. And I'm mm-hmm. not like just, um, the days there, but he's probably doing some like nine to 12 track days a week between the actual times he's on the track and instructing on a track. So a lot of time, yeah. he spends a lot of time out on a track and he'll tell you every day of the week that he will never buy a 1000 because he can't get everything out of a 600. Right. And I look like at a, I look at a guy that's racing and teaching professionally 
at that level. And it just kind of makes me go, well, if you can't get everything out of a 600, let me start with an R3 because even if I really, really work on an R3 for a year or two and hit every track day I can, I still don't think I'm going to be at a point where I can justify an R6. And an R6 would be fun. Don't get me wrong. I think they're amazing bikes and they got some of the new ones in my shop and I can't help but drool at them every time I walk by. It just comes down to one of those things that with the money in them and how fast they can go, I don't think my own riding ability justifies the amount of performance those machines can put down to the ground. Yeah, I agree. These are lighter too. I'm looking at the the R3 now. Even the ABS model is 375 pounds. They're very light bikes. Wet. They're actually three, I believe a 327cc motor. So they're overboard. Uh, sorry, yeah, 321, a few cc's off. But mm-hmm. they're already um, bored to a larger cc. They're very, very light bikes. And when I'm saying competition built, you look at, all the emission stuff, the exhausts are swapped out. A lot of times you swap the brakes. Um, you look at race fairings. A lot of the stuff that is we look at as a normal day-to-day thing on a motorcycle, like for, for um, instance, your ignition cylinder. Most race bikes don't have a key or ignition cylinder. They have an on and off switch. So there's lots of weight in plays like that mm-hmm. that can be lost. But um, I've looked into doing a full build like that. Honestly, I'd probably do a race fairing and suspension to start with and leave the rest. Um, eventually get to uh, clip-ons and rear sets. But I'd start there because really with your race fairing, being able to get your plastics on and off to work on the bike because maintenance is important. <laughs> and I'm so many people that. go straight to performance in your engine, transmission, doing chain swaps to lighter chains, looking at wheels and all kinds of things like that. They're important, but unless you can get a hundred percent out of your suspension first, doesn't, having more power isn't going to do you a whole lot of good. Yeah. Cool. Well, it'd be interesting to see if, if you get, if you get one, it'd be interesting to track the two progressions back and forth. What tracks do you guys have up there? I haven't looked into it too much because I've been, so like I said, I'm planning this trip next year. So I've been trying not to start buying into things too early, but, um, <laughs> get the- uh, I got a buddy of myself that have been talking about running uh, trips back and forth from here to, uh, VIR up in Virginia because they're only, I think two, two, three hours or drive away. Yeah. It's only a couple hours from here as well, but we also have, um, uh, what is it? Carolina motorsports park. Yeah. Cr- I, know, I know there's a couple in the area. I just a smaller one. I intentionally haven't looked into it <laughs> too intensely because I said I'm I'm doing a two month trip and taking two months off work uh, requires some savings. Yeah, we'll get get the Trans America Trail done and then you know then we'll do some track days. <laughs> okay, um, I stand corrected. Just over an hour away for VIR. Oh, nice. So, John, you have no excuse. Excuse for what? When the WeatherTech series runs up there this year, one hour. Okay, you coming up? Yeah, I think I'll come stay at your house. Okay, come on. I hear you have some beer I need to get rid of. You do. There is. So come help me get rid of it. Cool. I always, I always got beer to get rid of. All right. John or Hogan, anything else before we get into events? Hogan, mm. fall asleep? No. No, I was just kind of, no, I think I'm done. All right, cool. Johnny John, events? Or if you had okay. one more thing? No, I'm good at events. You want to hit? I'm doing events here. Knock them out, buddy. Knock them out. All right. So we going to the Easy Rider Bike Show in Charlotte, January twentieth, twenty eighteen. Get your tickets now. Get your tickets now. The second annual uh, congregation show. Nice job. 
fifteenth, two to eight p.m. All right. And, and we're going to have the first annual Law Pipes meetup. No idea where. No idea time. We planning it. Middle of July. Waiting for Rico to decide. Okay. Uh, we're having the second annual East Coast meetup, January 9th in Wake Forest, North Carolina. That's for Moto Amino, to be specific. Yep, Moto. No, it doesn't have to be. It can be anybody. That's Moto Amino meetup, but it can be anybody. Well, they're putting on the event. Correct. It's going to be the North Carolina uh, Dragon Cruise doing it. All right. Put it on. Uh, then we're going to have the third annual Motorcycle Podcast Challenge, June 21st through July 11th. And we started working on the notes for that, the rules, updating. Well, here, here's what I'm thinking, and I'll throw this out to the, the listening audience and mainly for the clubhouse, which Uh-oh. they'll hear before this goes out anyway. But my thought is we do the meetup right on the heels of the MPC because I want to be in Pennsylvania for the 16th. So that would okay. give us five days between the end of the challenge and when I want to be in Pennsylvania. Okay. So that's the thought. Check your calendars. Look it up. Pin it. All right. Do what in, you got to K- do. Get your kitchen passes. And <laughs> KP informed me that I need to add another event that Ooh. you guys really haven't heard much about. Uh-oh. It's one of the events for Moto Amino, the big one that is starting for one of our so North Carolina group is has five events planned for this year. Okay. The first one is February 18th through February 21st. What? Okay. We are going to Key West, Florida. Oh. What? <laughs> All right. <laughs> On the 18th, we are actually February. doing an... We are doing a Saddle Sore 1002 from Raleigh to Florida City, Florida. <laughs> 1,093 miles. We're banging it out. As a group? As a group. There's right now, currently, there's eight, about eight people that said they're going to do this trip with us. <sighs> I might want to sign up for that one. Wow. <laughs> Uh-oh, KP's like, come on, because KP's going. He's going on the FJR. Come on, guys. So, so just kind of give you a night. I mean, trying to go more on this. So KP's going. I'm going. Irishman's going on, and I went with Irishman up to Mass. We are. Um, there's a guy in Charlotte on a CBR 1000 that's going to do. Is talking about doing it. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> uh, yeah. He said he's going to do it. Now here, <laughs> now, now, now I'll give you the other guy that's going to do it. And this guy is, is, I'll tell you, is hardcore. And if he does this, I will give him mad kudos. It's going to be uh, Kaleli. And he's going to do it on a Honda XR 650L, which is a dual sport. Oh, it's like the KLR. Yeah. So, so, Phew. and he, he actually did the ride across from Manio to Murphy with us. And that was 600 miles. <laughs> so wow. but I think he's going to be um swapping out his knobbies for street tires. Yeah, I hope so. Let's <laughs> just take oh, all the back. Oh, as KP just informed me, they have found some less knobby tires. <laughs> <laughs> so so that is the that is the um that's our plan for uh February. Um Wow. Yeah. One time February. 
and, and Rico, depends on where you are. We're, we're going to go around Atlanta. That's how we got to get to 1,000 miles. We're going around Atlanta. Okay. So if so, you want to go, you, you can join us and come down from, you can join us in Atlanta because one of the guys where we are meeting up with is in Atlanta and he's going to go from Atlanta down with us. Okay. All right. And, and oh, yeah, and he's saying the Zixer at 600. Zixer. Well, really? Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll be stopping a lot for that guy. Nope. I have the stops and it's on me at about 130 miles. That's the rule. Mm. Rich, you could do that. 30 miles ain't nothing. <laughs> Maybe by then I could I could join him and do it on the R6. Right. I'm not I'm not ready for that yet. So that's that's our first one out of the gate. All right. Thank you, John. No problem. All right. Again, I would like to thank the riders of Loud Pipes for their continued support. And as we say, if we feel if you feel the show is providing you some value, then we do ask you visit loudpipes.net slash donate and participate in our value for value share. And we do the show as often as we can, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can join us live at loudpipes.net slash live. Again, there's a chat room component there. We are using the Mixler platform, M-I-X-L-R. And you can follow us on the application there. Put it on your smartphone. You'll be notified when we go live. If you can't support the show monetarily, we understand. Uh, We just ask that you head over to iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us a note in the form of a rating or review. And that puts a little fuel in the tank, and we'll read it on the show as well. Additional information from this episode, including links and images, can be found on our website, loudpipes.net slash 110. Thank you, John. Almost messed that up. (laughs) And here you'll find links to leave us feedback, subscribe to the show, and follow us on social media. Why not? Brother Hogan? Yeah, yeah. Kick stands up. Let's do this, Brutus. All right, Johnny John. Let's roll. Don't forget your coffee, Rich. I'll get my coffee, finish my beer. KP, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. Please consider supporting the show. We offer generous rewards for your contribution. Find more details at loudpipes.net forward slash donate.